right, welcome back to APIs You Won't Hate. This is episode 18, our first episode for the year 2022. Uh, should we make it there? Phil and I are recording this a few days shy of the new year, so anything could happen between here and there. Phil, how's it going, man? Uh, well, I suppose life is, as always, a little bit confusing and a bit hectic, but uh, yeah, I'm, I'm still kicking. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm, I'm hanging in. It's uh, the end part of the year, which is definitely a little bit of like work uh, tailing off and uncertainty around holiday travel and all that kicking in. So the anxiety is really just shifting flavors at this point. And, you know, I'll figure all that out as, as we get there. But um, I live in the Southeast U.S. and all my family's in the Northeast U.S. So one of the things that I get to deal with uh, this time of year is figuring out uh, if it's safe to go from here to basically the New York area and or how to get there and whether I'm going to you know, walk, fly, drive, whatever, you know, that's, that's how it goes, I guess. You own a bicycle. I do own a bicycle. I also have an electric <laughs> you car. Go. You got some options. Yeah. I was planning on driving. Uh, and then I pulled up the New York times, like COVID tracker thing today and New York has absolutely spiked. Oh, yeah. They're at an all time high basically. So, uh, I, we should also mention too, uh, our comrade brother in arms, uh, Matt Trask is not with us here today. He's, um, off on, on uh, holiday end of year, Quick shout out to Matt, but he'll be back with us probably for our next episode. Still, still alive then? Just not another bike crash? Near as I can tell. Yeah, Matt, Matt's actually um, seems like he's becoming a semi-professional maybe, or, or at least serious hobbyist photographer for cycling events in his area. Um, his his uh, If you follow him on Instagram, he's mostly posting really, really great like action shots of cyclocross races in Nashville, which of course with cyclocross is like people, you know, panicking as they're sliding through mud. So. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. Some some of the like best cycling memories I've got are in cyclocross where you've just got like photographs of, of 10 cyclists on top of each other in an intertwangled mess then you'd have no idea how anyone got in that situation so if he if he keeps at it he's going to get some just gold photographs yeah it's good to see definitely i saw he finally uh he got paid for a photograph that he did for the first time and that was like i think you're literally a professional now like if someone's paid you to do the thing then you are actually a professional at that thing <laughs> That absolutely counts. And, and you know what? Actually, speaking of, uh, this is our first uh, episode of the show where we have a sponsor. So we, uh, we're very excited to kind of get through that. We put out a call for sponsors a couple months ago and uh, had some conversations with some folks and landed our first sponsor. And uh, let's take a break here to hear from them. This episode of APIs You Won't Hate is brought to you by Lob. Lob is a group of passionate people working towards their vision of increasing connectivity between the offline and online worlds. They help developers send postcards, letters, and checks as easily as email through RESTful APIs. Lob is looking for engineers at all levels interested in joining a successful growth stage startup. They offer collaborative culture, supporting teamwork, and mentorship. Their founders have a strong vision of building a product-led organization, and it's an opportunity to have a big impact on Lob's business and engineering culture. Lob is built using open API specifications for contract testing, generating documentation, and soon SDKs. Their API is written in a mix of JavaScript, Golang, and Elixir, and their customer-facing dashboards are built with Vue.js. If you're interested in joining Lob, check them out online at lob.com careers. Thank you so much to Lob for sponsoring APIs you won't hate. All right, and welcome back. So, Phil, what's on your mind today? What's uh, what's going on in your world? How's work things? Work things are different. I've changed jobs. It's the first time I've quit a job that I actually liked. Like, I have no complaints about it, which feels nice. So I've, uh, I left Stoplight after about two years of being there, helping them with DevRel and product planning and design and a bit of code here and there. And now I am self-employed for... Two different companies. I run Green Turtle, which I think I might have mentioned a little bit in the past. Um, it's kind of my Dutch company, so I've become a Dutch resident. 
part of being a Dutch resident, like it just works out really well for like tax and stuff if you kind of create a company and give yourself a job. So um, the joke was originally that it's my shell company, Greentail. Right. And, uh, <laughs> but yeah, I'm actually doing tech consulting for a bunch of different people. So technically, you know, I was consulting for Stoplight because, you know, I'm in Europe and stuff. So they were like my first client, but now I'm starting to take on more clients and spend a bit less time doing tech stuff. So I'm trying to balance it out. About 50-50 is the goal with tree stuff. So I'm now working a lot more on Protect Earth. And it's still, you know, chair of the board of trustees. It's an unpaid role. But I'm doing a lot of stuff in the background. A lot of like, as well as planting trees like every single day at the moment, because it's the middle of tree planting season. I've just been on a 10, 10 day in a row rampage planting trees. I'm also kind of writing some software to to make all of that work. And so there's kind of a bit of a blurry overlap where Green Turtle stops and, and Protect Earth starts, because I think I'm going to start making some kind of reforestation at scale software that you know Protect Earth might be uh, a free client of and then kind of expand that out as a software as a service to a bunch of other people. So I'm kind of learning a lot about the reforestation space and getting into green tech in general is, is the goal. Yeah, wow. That, that's uh, quite the jump you've made and actually fairly abruptly from, I guess, from the outside perspective here. So w- what's the balance of your time looking like between the two jobs? Is it uh, mostly with the Protect Earth stuff? <laughs> yeah, mostly. Um, it's really bad. I didn't have enough time to do both well. I couldn't do Protect Earth just evenings and weekends and have a, a nine till five like normal job. And so I thought, I've been getting away with doing like Saturday, Sunday and a little bit of weekends and a bit of a lunch break work for a while. I'm sure if I suddenly have five full working days, then I'll have loads of time to do client work and this tree stuff. And that hasn't happened at all. I've just started to like massively scale up how much tree stuff I'm doing. So now I'm like, I'm driving um, in an electric car, thankfully, uh, for like to different sites and walking around farms with all the with all the farmers and they're like showing me around and getting me in their Range Rover and driving up the, like sideways hills and just like probably put a field over a uh, you know woodland over there I'm like, yeah sure so it's just like a really weird change like four or five days in the week I will be on a farm planting trees or looking at some land that we could then plant some trees on and I'm hoping that that will come down a little bit partly because right now is tree planting season. November to March is when you get most of it done. And so there's a lot of work to be done with not only actually planning the events and actually planting the trees, but trying to kind of hook up funding for those trees and different businesses that want to sponsor and partners like Ecology who pay for a lot of the trees um, and like improving the APIs and improving the project management system, right? Because I've basically got like everything's in Notion. I've got a Kanban board of all these different reforestation projects as they work through like with the ecologist and with the government getting grants and with various other groups and with whoever sourcing the trees. My mum is head of, uh, she is the procurement officer. So she's like phoning up all these tree nurseries. Yeah. And now whenever I call her, I have to be like, mum, work call. Okay. So this nursery is a little bit late with these, blah, blah, blah. Um, and then other <laughs> times it's like, mum, personal call. How you doing? <laughs> but yeah we've got this whole thing and so there's the actual admin overhead work and the physical work basically i'm throwing myself massively in the deep end trying to figure out what all the problems are what the bottlenecks are the holding back uh, an organization from handling loads of reforestation projects at once because then once you've found the different bottlenecks some of them can be fixed with personnel some of them can be fixed with software some of them can be fixed with a combination of both perhaps other volunteers staff you know, funding, partnerships, that there's all these different 
solutions to different problems. And so a lot of it, honestly, has been fixed with Notion, like not getting paid to say that. I've just been putting everything in there because before there was all these crazy emails and the status of everything is just in people's heads. Like when you've got maybe six projects happening in three months, you might be able to remember, you know, there's only two happening in December and two happening in January and two happening in February. You can kind of keep on top of it. But we've got like 10, 10 projects currently happening and some of them are really complicated, like 50,000 trees and whatever. Wow. Yeah, there's there's a lot more leads. Like I had a tweet go viral and it had like 5,000 likes and 5,000 tweets. Me just being like, hey, if you want to plant trees, I'll swing by and have a look, right? Hey, it'll be great. And then it just blew up. And so we've had to install HubSpot so that we can kind of track all of those leads and track them through their different lead statuses. And then once that's ready, we can plop them into Notion and, you know, get them graphed up and all this other stuff. So I'm, I'm kind of hoping that it's going to be mad, like full-on scrappy overtime crying at your laptop startup for a little while. And then, you know, we're going to hire an ecologist who's going to do site visits. So that's most of the work sorted. And then like, they're just tracking through leads and and seeing what's going to be viable. And then we've got, you know, the project management stuff. So other people can keep an eye on things. And we've got, you know, a few other members of staff and a bit more software being written so that it will be kind of fairly autonomous. You know, the donations come in and pay the ecologist. And so it's my job to go and find a bit more money and a few more donations, but it's not like six days a week, seven days a week, all the time forever, you know? Yeah, sure. It, it sounds like you're rounding the corner from like a, uh, an idea to a scrappy startup <laughs> in, in a big way here. Like, uh, you know, having run a company in the past, this is one of those things that definitely feels, um, familiar, right. Where you start to have like more, more customers than you can remember yeah. names for, <laughs> uh, or the last conversation you had with them and using tools like HubSpot and all that is, uh, definitely the sign of hitting like a certain level of exciting maturity that uh, will probably have you shrieking and crying at various different points. That's really cool. So when you're using Notion, are you using the, the functionality that it has where you can essentially like publish a public or semi-public website for, for people to go check in on as well? Or is it all just a sort of private um, notes database, whatever you want to call it, that, that you use yourself? Yeah, it's, it's mostly the back end. So we've got, um, have like, you know, planting sites and we put all the information in there and then that'll have information about how many trees and how many acres and does this la- does this project need grants or not? And does this, you know, who's the landowner? And then, so we've got like a whole little people section and with a little CRM in there and, you know, uh, who's responsible for the weeding and the mulching and all the specifics that you could easily forget, right? And then we can attach things like, uh, we have different phases of work. So woodlands and hedgerows and wildflower meadows. And you might do, you know, woodland, a little bit of woodland now, and then another bit more woodland next year uh, and, and things like that. So we can track different phases of different projects and and different kind of estimates that are associated and convert those into orders and then see which suppliers supplied which tubes for which projects so that if all the trees at that project die, we know that we should probably stop using those suppliers. Cause <laughs> and, and just loads of kind of uh, metadata um, about it like that, which, which just really helps with the organization because, you know, we've, we've got Slack where we chat about different things and that's all like ephemeral stuff that's going to vanish. And then we have, um, yeah, like there's, there's contracts signed with various people about various things, but then that's just kind of the the current, like that's almost the source of truth about like where things are at and what they're doing. And so, yeah, it's basically CRM, project management. I really I really wanted them to have an API. We, we ended up using Airtable awkwardly as well. So the actual trees, when we plant trees, we take photographs of them with a little custom app that a volunteer made. 
um, and it will upload the photograph and the coordinates and we have to enter which species it is when we do it. And that will kind of plop it all into Airtable using the API on the iOS side and then feed it back into our own API, which is built in Laravel, which Matt made. And uh, that will go off to the funding partners. And so that for now is all in Airtable. And what's been really interesting as it started off, like Airtable was just kind of a database that we could be bothered to build a whole API for um, to track the trees. And then that started growing more into kind of like maintenance and like, we're going to go back there and see how these trees are doing and see what's going on. And like that one's dead and that one's dead. So we need to replace those. And oh, that looks like there's been a lot of deer here. So that's kind of an ongoing state. And the notion is kind of creeping in from the other side. It started with purely kind of planning. And now that's also ongoing. And I want to have things like, you know, it's, it's kind of got like, how many trees are you planning on planting and how many have you currently planted? And then, you know, Airtable also has a list of all of them. And so at some point they either need to integrate or one will just eat the other, but they're both very similar systems at the moment, uh, but they just have slightly different properties. And like Airtable has a, uh, had an API when Notion didn't, but they are both kind of really similar things. And I'm, I'm very curious as to see which is going to be the source of all truth. Cause right now they're kind of owners of their own little part of the domain but uh yeah there's, there's a lot of a lot of loco yeah yeah that that's really cool like it, it, i mean you could imagine someone who's not a uh you know 15 20 year veteran of building software solutions for things actually going and being reasonably successful trying to, to cobble together something like this uh with those tools as well you're, you're also getting into a part of like solution design that's uh really fascinating because a lot of the like assumptions we make when we build software is usually like this thing's going to be perfect and i know exactly this accounting system because it's just dollars and if i subtract 100 (laughs) there'll be 100 less but like you're planting trees uh some of them might not take some of them might get eaten by a deer some might get knocked over whatever the case may be uh like you have a lot of data that is impermanent at best maybe or or uncertain on some level and that's kind of a very cool like style of problem to think about uh you know all the various different like statuses of things that can happen yeah I mean, there's a lot of things that I want to start getting into. And again, this is kind of where Green green Turtle might end up kind of taking over a little bit, which is um, there's a lot of data that you can get from the data that you're putting in, right? So one thing would be, should you water the trees or not? Some people say yes, some people say no. Some people won't water trees at all, and it would lead to larger numbers of fatalities. But the ones that survive are going to be much tougher because they've had to put their roots a lot deeper to try and find water unless there's like a two month drought, at which point if you don't water all your trees, they're probably mostly going to die. And so that can be quite tricky stuff, especially when a lot of these projects in a protect earth might have uh, 20 projects that have 500 each, and they won't be able to get to all of them in the space of a two month drought. But not everywhere in the entire country is going to be in drought at the same time, some areas might do better than others. And so it can be quite hard if you think about something like protect earth, there's lots and lots and lots of reforestation and rewilding groups out there that are all fairly low tech there's just some people with spades right without taking the piss and so giving them solutions about like this is when you should do this or like maybe this is why lots of these things died could be really helpful because you can do things like we know where all the trees are so we know how much rain they've been getting roughly in that area not on an individual tree level but that area got rain and uh the weather forecast says there's no rain coming for like a month or whatever so you should probably go and water this project but that one don't worry about it it had had rain last week you just didn't notice because you weren't there and so just little things like that can can start to be really helpful because obviously it's all money and success like these charities don't have um, infinite money 
and they don't have infinite time and infinite volunteers and they have to prioritize where they can and you want as many of the trees to survive as you can so anywhere that you can use kind of apis and data and glue it all together to help predict what where you should focus your efforts is going to be helpful you know yeah yeah you've just gone and made me sad about the uh disappearance a year or two ago of the dark sky oh yeah which was like a super nice and super terse like hyper local weather service (laughs) that was really really good at giving you know simple stuff to anyone who wanted to use it and of course they got acquired by apple for i think hundreds of millions like a ton of money they closed that api down and make it useless yeah they closed it down they removed the android app it's i uh, even i think the ios only app now is merged into weather for iphone so it's it's gone there are other you know weather solutions as well i actually for a long time had a um a weather station that i kept on my roof that talked to maybe weather.com or something like that like there's there's a more scrappy api that's kind of like a network of whoever wants to set their stuff up and it's very cool, like the amount of stuff you can see. It's interesting how many of these little weather stations are, yeah. exist uh, that you can talk to. Like there's, you know, I live in a fairly dense city, but I don't know, a, a five mile radius of here. Uh, there's probably 50 to 100 different tiny little weather stations of people running out of their homes, which is like, that can give you a pretty good idea of where exactly yeah. it did rain, you know, within neighborhoods, which is which is pretty cool to see. That is interesting. Like, what what is that weather station? What sensors does it have? What can it tell you? Yeah, I'll, I'll send you some more details, but it's got, like, wind direction, temperature, amount of precipitation. So it has essentially, like, a little cup that measures rainfall. Uh, and there's, there's a number of other things like dew point and, you know, things so you can predict the coming weather as well as what is happening. Uh, but I think in your case, probably the num- amount of precipitation and type would be the most yeah. useful as, you know, the, the, the temperature actively there. It's super easy to set up. Like it's, it's the kind of thing that um, I got as a gift um, and like set it up in a matter of minutes and it's battery powered and the batteries last ages. So that's really cool. It's got a little, actually, I think you put, I think you put rechargeable batteries in it and there's a tiny little solar cell on top that just keeps them oh, popped I gotcha. up. Yeah. Uh, so it's almost like, yeah, once it's, once it's set up, it's almost like zero maintenance. Yeah, and I'm sure it's gotten better. Mine is six or seven years old at this point. There's probably even uh, simpler ones to set up. I like that. Point. And if you get an alert saying it's it's gone off, there has been no sun for a long time, its final act of telling you the weather is there has been no sun for the last three days and I am knackered on batteries. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> farewell, little guy. That's really cool. I mean, that again, like all this stuff, I, I still need to get step one, two, three, four done. But at the moment, we're kind of focusing the API on Oh, I'm just getting it over to Heroku because it was on some Laravel thing that I didn't have a clue how to deploy. <laughs> I just shoved it up there and I'm like, where is it? But, you know, making making <laughs> the API we've got a little better and then and then working on some of the extra functionality in the background. But there's, there's just infinite things you can do because there are solutions out there that are like, you can pay loads and loads and loads of money and you can monitor like a 10,000 hectare project quite easily. You can look at satellite images and they can tell you roughly how many trees you've got. Like, and they can take a guess at what species they are and how well their growth is doing. And, you know, they can tell you loads of stuff by looking at really high resolution uh, satellite images. But that satellite imagery is expensive. And so if you've got, you know, an acre over there and then an acre, you know, 100 miles down the road, it's pointless. You can't you can't do that. And so this kind of these other ways of monitoring your smaller projects for a small team um, start to become pretty handy. And some of our projects like. That there's a farmer they can look out their window and go not on fire 
so it's fine, but <laughs> but some of them are a bit more awkward because <laughs> we are intentionally planting. We're trying not to use up like productive agricultural land, and therefore it's not the flattest, easiest, most accessible bits. It's the slopey, awkward, round the back, a long way from a road bits that we couldn't get a watering truck to if we wanted to, if we even knew there was a problem. So it's not easy to go and have a look at them all the time. And even drones, like we'd have to give an 80 year old farmer a drone and, and tell them to go and fly that around. And I'm sure plenty of them would be fine with that, but not all of them would be. So it, it, there's, you know, looking for more solutions that are very hands off what we want to do. And hell, it could be um, sticking some of those up. You know what I mean? For, for larger projects, stick one of those on your roof. I'll install it for you. Don't worry about that. <laughs> and then that can tell us how things are doing in your area. Um, but yeah, I just want to keep looking into ways to glue things together and make life easier for these projects because I know two other projects who are kind of seeking funding in the same way where they have to take a photograph of every app and they have to integrate this kind of similar API that it shows where all their trees are and all their coordinates and all their what three words. And I know how much hell we had getting it all together in a rush during planting season where <laughs> we're spending all of our time planting trees, but also we need to get paid for those trees. So we have to like hire someone to put the code together and then well, that's more money that we have to spend. And then more time that we don't have if we do it ourselves. And it's just bloody annoying. Like most of these small charities don't want to be setting up Airtable or writing an API or doing any of that crap. So yeah, if I can just make a SaaS, initially Protect Earth can use and then anyone else in a similar way. And it'll be like, charge them a few quid a month. And our data shows that your survival rates will go up by 20% if you use our software. You know, it, it feels weird trying to like get money sure. out of charities and stuff. But also like if I can help them save them time and mean that they don't have to like hire an iOS developer or something, then that's also probably not being the worst person in the world, is it? <laughs> yeah, no, no I, not at all. And I think one of the really fascinating things about working in like even the specific part of, of the charity world that you're in is that your competition are also just allies. Yeah. You know, there, there are people who are approaching the same mission with the same end goal. And so you know, I'm sure if like some whale of a charity came along and they were being wildly successful with planting trees, like that's not a cause for anger. <laughs> uh, that's that's like celebration yeah, at that point, right? And so anything you can do to help is a good yeah, thing. Yeah, and there's some, there's some other stuff like um, we at the moment, the slowest thing we have to do is like walk around taking a photograph of every tree with this iPhone app. And like there's some things I can do to the iPhone app to make it a little smoother. And I want it to be like Tinder for trees, <laughs> Tinder for saplings, where you can just like swipe, 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 swipe <laughs> and just real fast. And it's like, it's a bit clunky, but it, it gets the job done. But when there's 5,000 trees, that's going to take me like two days to photograph all that shit. Like you run out of battery, you run out of space yeah. on your phone. It's awful. And so, yeah, drones maybe, right? We've been toying with the idea for a while. Sometimes you'll see reforestation projects and they're in big straight lines. They're in grids. And sometimes that, that's not great. It's not particularly great to do that for various reasons. A lot of it's aesthetic and maybe it's not good for temp temperature regulation. It is really convenient for like mowing between them, which is why some people do it. Some grants require it. I don't particularly like that too much, but it makes it very easy to take photographs because you just walk up the grid, down the next row, up the next row, down the next row, and it sucks, but it's quick. A lot of the projects we do are completely randomized. You tell planters to like take two or three steps in any direction and shove a tree down and then like spin around and do it again. And it's just totally random, which is awesome for the woodland. It looks totally random especially because different people are different heights. So two or three steps is very different, but it's bloody impossible to get photographs of that. Like I'll get a Sharpie and I'll scribble on the top of the tube and then I'll go and take a thing. And then I realize that I've lost 
a hundred, which is like 300 pounds for charities lost. So I have to like run around trying to find them. And it's just, it's awful. So we wanted to get drones involved, but most of the scanners, most of the software we found doesn't like it when the QR code is rounded. Like these, these round tubes, it can't handle the fact that the QR code's bent. So either we do some like algorithmic flattening of the QR codes, if that's even a thing, or we have to like get little plant labels, these little wooden things and stick the QR codes on those and put them down. It's all, it's all a faff and it's a bit annoying, but, and that requires the volunteers to like manually mark them out. But at the moment they're having to like get a Sharpie and manually write down elder, elder, that's two different trees and they get confused. They write the wrong thing. Or the, uh, one of them wrote, was sick of writing bird cherry. So they wrote burr, uh, B-I-R-C-H, which is birch. And that's a different type of tree. So I was like, which birch? Is it downy birch or, <laughs> or silver birch? Why did you write it? Oh, fuck, it's no. bird cherry. So like, if we could just kind of remove the human error aspect of that and just stickers and we can, and those QR codes have stickers. Um, yeah. And then we just plop those out with all the trees. Then we could just send drones out doing a grid formation of everything and it can just take all the we, we've written some software already that will go through a video um, take out all the frames look for a qr code take the uuid dedupe all the uuids right so that's that's done it just it just needs yeah. to then be taught to like go in and get a decent close-up of each one after it's been done so it could do like a first pass to work out roughly right. where they all are and like how many uuids there are and we can make sure that that matches up or we can tell it to go do another lap but then, yeah, like the, the getting a nice photograph that you'd be happy to see on your ecology profile or whatever, that's like, that's the later job. But there's a load of things like this that would just make sure. life so much easier for reforestation charities because none of them are going to get a chance to do this. And like, if I say, I don't even know, like £10 a month and you won't have to spend an entire day walking around a field photographing shit, people would be like, yeah, yeah, take that money. <laughs> yeah, Absolutely. We'll we'll uh, we'll have to reach out to um, what are they called Boston Dynamics and see if we can get you one of those scary dog robots to go and run. And yeah, I will spin on you. a dime with my opinion. That, that's kind of a pretty good use case for them. <laughs> I will spin on yeah. a dime and start supporting those fucking killer robot dogs if they can make me not have to take photographs of five thousand trees. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Right. I mean, one might not be too scary, but if you're out in a field with forty of them, I think I'd be a little <laughs> nervous. Yeah, and um, deer, deer prevention is is an important topic. So if we can get those Boston robot uh, dogs to have guns on them. We can take out deer. <laughs> I tell you what, I um, that's one of those problems that I feel like I'm learning more about. Like I never really understood quite the um, challenge that that deer provide when sort of unchecked, and of course they're unchecked because. We've gotten rid of a lot of natural yeah. predators, uh, you know, over the years. But even here, like in a fairly major city, there are tons of them. My my morning cycling route, I usually see, I don't know, twenty to thirty on a on a twenty mile ride, and that's like that's a stunning amount of large mammals that are, uh, you know, out in the wild. And I'm sure there's more that I'm not seeing when I'm out there. Yeah, too. there's there's a million things. Like this has nothing to do with tech at all, but to make it vaguely tech, like Zach Kitzmiller, a friend of the show. He, he was saying, like, I don't know why you're doing all this work. Uh, trees have been evolving naturally for millions of years. I'm pretty sure they'll figure it out. Right? And he's taking the piss. But, like, yeah, we have humans have wrecked things so badly that we actually do now have to use quite a lot of assistance to bring it back. Like, the fact that we killed off all the wolves and all the bears and all the predators means that there's loads of animals further down the chain that have just exploded. And, and because of fragmentation, like wolves right. need, you know, thousand hectares or whatever to, to patrol. And now there's like highways and, and houses and suburbs everywhere. The fragmentation has meant only smaller animals can survive, you know, the ones that are happy in a garden or whatever. So we've generally knackered the natural environment to the point where there's so many things trying to eat 
those saplings because you also have to think about how industrial agriculture has made like miles and miles and miles of essentially they call it green desert where it looks quite nice but it's no real food there's like we've ripped out a lot of hedgerows we've well you know you might not have as many of them in america they're a huge thing over here but we like ripped out loads of our hedgerows which were berries and different different things they could eat and a lot of the patches of woodland have been cleared and and so there's just like herbicide sprayed crops and and in the winter that means there's nothing because things like you know holly will give um fruit year round like little berries year round so you know birds used to eat that but if you rip everything out they've got nothing so when you come along in winter and you plant a bunch of saplings which are at that point just a tasty snack they're like you know the bark is soft you can get into them easy all the animals go great like i've been planting trees and deer have been watching me going i'm gonna come back for that in a minute <laughs> like, <"Fuck off." laughs> yeah so so things are just so knackered that you kind of unfortunately need all these big sometimes plastic sometimes cardboard tubes we've We've had cardboard tubes fail in the first year, so we kind of are in, end, ended up using a lot of um, second-hand plastic tubes, which at least has a lower carbon footprint, and we'll collect them up. But there's all these things that you have to do to try and sure. guide these woodlands back to success. And things like you know natural regeneration are massively popular as well, but they don't always work in certain areas because you have so many rabbits and deer and shrews and moles and voles and whatever else that they'll just eat anything that pops up. So you have to wait ages for a bird to fly past and shit out a seed and maybe that germinates and maybe that sprouts and then it gets chewed in half immediately. And then you wait another 50 years for a few more to come along. So yeah, there's there's just a lot of assistance needed to help reforestation happen in any sort of relevant, useful time frame to like help the planet at all. Yeah. Turns out it's a pretty complicated problem we've created for ourselves <laughs> yeah. there. So, so given that this uh, episode is going to be our first one for the year, um, and I know people tend to be in kind of a like reflective mood at the beginning of the year, really the end of the year, uh, but maybe we'll come down on the other side of it here. W- what do you think that the, this project will look like in 12 months from now? So the end of 2022, uh, if things go well, what are, what are some goals for you for the year? I'm really looking forward to getting our hands on our own piece of land so we at the moment are working with landowners and i want to keep that going but i'm really looking forward to getting hands on a bit of land and we've got some land that we're in the process of buying which is like an ancient replanted woodland and and that is amazing because it like it used to be an amazing temperate rainforest they just gutted it and put a bunch of like non-native timber in there um nothing that should have grown in this country and uh it's just kind of sad to see but hopefully in January, we'll have the keys to that. And I can just cycle down there. I can just start taking down some some of the smaller stuff. And then we'll get the timber company to start selectively taking a few other bits of wood out. Like every five years, we'll take 25% away, improve the, the light down to the floor and, and get the like um, natural regeneration kind of going. And there's already little like tiny oaks and little tiny ash trees and little tiny everything. So yeah, like more of a focus on acquiring land to protect long term instead of working with landowners i mean as well as working with other people so yeah kind of like creating our own i call them like the ancient woodlands of the future but like the our own our own bits of land to nurture and then hopefully maybe i can chuck a caravan on one of them and i won't be completely homeless forever but um <laughs> that's that's my goal at the moment it's like <laughs> yeah be nice. it's like really step th- step things up get staff make it sustainable make it not rely on like charity from me in the form of like my income or like a bunch of my time and make it be a thing that like powers itself is what I'm looking to do over the next year. Cause I think we, we might've talked about it before. It's a topic that comes up a lot. It's like, do you want 
we all want to save the planet, right? Like I know you're as concerned about the future as I am perhaps. And everyone's trying to think like, well, should I try and get the highest paycheck that I can work in wherever so I can like donate as much of that to good projects as possible? Or should I throw it all in and go broke and go work for some charity for a tiny paycheck? And luckily that's a bit of a false dichotomy these days. And you can actually get paid quite well working on, you know, great projects. But I was, I was stuck on the, like, maybe this job isn't entirely jiving with what my current priorities in life are. So, um, you know, I was thinking, but, but I am getting loads of money and I can, I can use that to fund really good things at this charity. And I was like throwing thousands of euros in there a month and stuff. And, but then I started to realize that like, I'm not making it self-sufficient. Like it's entirely reliant on when, when decisions come up, should we do this? Is this a good idea? I'm like, ah, screw it. If it goes wrong, I'll just pay for it. Right. Like that's not making a sustainable company that will grow. And if I get hit by a bus, then the whole thing just goes bankrupt. So <laughs> yeah, my, my new focus is like, you know, using my time to get it scalable and self-sufficient so that it's not reliant on me. Um, and, and that's, that's what I want to see. Like I want to see people donate into the charity that like don't know who I am and like people, <laughs> people coming along to planning projects that like aren't on my Twitter. Um, and, and it's getting there. Like, right. We're starting to get lots of volunteers and, and people I don't know, but I want that to be, I want it to be like, who's Phil? Whatever. Shut up. Sure. Yeah. The, the, that's a, a fantastic feeling when it happens. And that like level of serendipity is, is almost, uh, I mean, you, you can't rely on, on things going viral for this kind of success. Like it really <laughs> yeah. needs to be something that is snowballing on itself and that, that, uh, you have a growth to yourself. So that, those actually sound like pretty reasonable goals for the next year. I mean, it sounds like you're, you're going to have the keys to your, uh, ancient uh, wild there in the next couple of weeks. So that's really cool. I actually didn't know that was that yeah. far along. Uh, the sustainable thing sounds maybe a little more challenging. Uh, but, but like, that's why it's a job too, you know, like that's, that's something you can work on and think about and be actively critical of and, and, uh, hopefully make some little bits of progress that add up to large amounts of change there too. That's, that's super exciting, man. I'm, I'm yeah, glad to Do you have any goals for the new year? Yeah, it's an odd one over here. So, um, I'm mine, mine are both lofty and not lofty. Um, I feel like I have a lot of coals in the fire right now that are keeping me busy. One thing that's happening, hopefully next year, if we can keep uh, our, our sort of pandemic under wraps here is I'm in the middle of planning my second wedding with my only wife, uh, where, where we <laughs> oh, okay. last year. Well, we, we eloped last year and didn't get to have a party essentially. And, and so uh, mm. hopefully later um, in 2022, we'll be able to actually see our families and like, you know, give each other a hug in front of other people. Yeah, that yeah, sort of make thing. it a bit more real. Get this uh, photograph. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. So kind of working through that. I'm, I'm still, uh, you know, working my job at Google has uh, been going well and definitely like we're facing some interesting end of year challenges and products, product planning journeys, which will be a long while before I can even really like talk about them openly and before they'll pay off in, in ways that I um, think will be interesting for us to chat about on the podcast here. Um, but at the same time, like we've been making some pretty big strides for the APIs you won't hate site. This is something that we also sort of rounded a corner in the past year or two now, maybe where this thing went from something that's like a fun project where we put out these, you know, good and useful things for the world to like, I don't know, starting to, to cost time and money that made it more of a cost center than, than just something that was, uh, you know, running itself. And so getting this back to sustainability would be really nice. And that's why we've been doing things like placing ads on the site and talking to sponsors and trying to find ways to just 
you know, make the site run itself a little better and, and hopefully uh, be able to do things like sequester some money to go plant some birch trees in ancient <laughs> woods in the UK and things yeah. like that. So, so for me, that journey looks a little bit like figuring out how to make something that gets a reasonable amount of traffic into a sustainable and self-growing state, hopefully, and pay attention to the signals that can help us out. And I'm kind of doing that for myself as well all on the mission of providing a little more autonomy <laughs> and opening up a little bit more of my time. I think I'm exactly in that other sort of state that you were just talking about where some of my like driving forces right now are that, that mission of like, well, let's, uh, you know, pad the pockets a little bit and then work on projects that are meaningful and, and empowering in whatever way they may be. I spend a lot of, a lot of, uh, sleepless nights thinking about, uh, energy consumption and things like that in the U S. And I think if I had a, an ax to grind here, it would be with power use in particular. Like we, we, I live in this brutally hot city with, you know, sunlight 300 days of the year and almost no one has solar power yeah. on anything. Uh, and we absolutely should. And like, I would love to see more of that happening so i'd love to get into that was um google did something project sunroof a while ago and i felt like it was really half-assed like they did the really intelligent bit of basically being able to say uh this is how many megawatts your roof could generate or something and then when it came around to okay yeah i want to do it sign me up it it just googled nashville solar or whatever like it would just put the name of the place and then that was it and you'd be like how are there any subsidies available? Are these people rip-off merchants? I, I'm just seeing lots of paid ads here. And I feel like if they could have worked with some, if they could have got some people on board, like, you know, in each region or or, or something, there's, there's something you can do to help take that to people that's not just uh, piss off and Google it. Because you could have just pissed off and Googled it without going to Project Sunroof. Yeah, totally. And um, so actually, given that I work at Google and Google sort of has their famous um, 20% projects where theoretically I should be able to carve out one day a week to work on something else. Those were, that group was one of the first like groups of people that I went to talk to and see if I could spend some time with them working on things. And the, the, very perhaps frustrating corporate long and short of it is that like the answer was yes, but it's not ready yet to hit its sort of next stage of growth because of, you know, XYZ quarterly goal, whatever the case may be. But but Project Center still exists and is still like the data is updated and still pretty good. The tricky thing is, I don't know what it's like in Europe. And I'm actually curious to hear what this is like in, in sort of your neck of the woods for people buying solar things. But the, exactly what you're saying, where you get, sh- you know, shelled out to this thing that's like Googling solar power <laughs> yeah. in Nashville is uh, the results you get are really shady. Like they're very confusing and it really is just a sales pitch. And it's like the first thing you'll see is like, it'll be free. You'll get a free solar panel. You'll never have to pay a dime for it. And really what ends up happening is you generate power that goes into someone else's pocket and you still have an energy bill or whatever the case may be for 30 years until it pays itself back. And so like those things, if, if, if you have the spidey sense for it, immediately feel shady and you start to run yep. away from it. Uh, and the other side of it, if you go and do the research is you can go and buy and install solar stuff and pay companies that'll, you know, just install it and the financing model for that might be a mortgage or a lease or whatever you want to call it. But in the end, you own them. It's all very, very confusing, right? Like, yeah, it's really hard to find out. One, is there enough sun in my area for this? Can do I have enough surface area in my roof or my land or whatever to generate meaningful power for my home? And will it create problems? Like, if I go to sell my house in five years, will I have a lien against the house because there's these unpaid for solar panels on the roof that make it really hard to sell the house and something like that? And like, to be perfectly honest with you, that sounds like something that I could blow out of the water in terms of creating a meaningful and useful like sales experience. If I, you know, had the hours in the day, I think that'd be the kind of project that I would tackle. 
and hopefully get, I don't know, I, I think it's a stretch to think that 1% of homes in, in this million person city that I live in have solar power. Like, I think it's probably a percent of a percent that have solar power at this point. And it absolutely shouldn't yeah. be that way. Yeah. I can't remember yeah. which states and what. I've listened to a lot of stuff. Um, I think Sustainababble, I think it was them who did a really good podcast on solar. And they talked about how, uh, was it them? Never mind. I'll try and find it and put it in the show notes. Um, but there was a really good podcast I listened to recently that talked about the different problems in different areas. And in some countries in Europe, like Germany used to have a really good feed-in tariff, then they kind of got rid of it. England used to have an okay feed-in tariff, then they got rid of it. Now they give you like 2p a kilowatt if you put solar on your roof, which never even pays itself back. And so the is there a feed-in tariff or not? Yes or no? How much? Um, is, is another really powerful data point that the Project Sunroof could have. But opposite to feed-in tariffs, some states actually charge you a tax for having solar on your roof, because, and that should be illegal. I think uh, Alabama definitely have it. Um, and it's literally, if you put a solar panel on your roof, we're going to tax you for every kilowatt um, of potential energy that you have, because that is like hit, hitting into our profit margin, which is insane. You don't do that for anything else. Like, oh, well, you used to buy 10 ciders a week and now you're only buying eight ciders. So we're going to tax you an extra 20 bucks or whatever. Like piss off, I'll buy what I want to buy. Yeah. So, and obviously that's ridiculous. I'd never buy less cider, but things things like that, like the hard <laughs> parts, that, that's kind of why I was like, I did momentarily forget that you were for Google, but that's why I was kind of grumping about it is that they've done the really like data science-y hard, impressive part of saying like, put in your address, we're going to load up Google Earth. We're going to um, like look at the satellite image of your house. We're going to do some AI image recognition to figure out which way your roof is facing and how big. That's bloody amazing. And they didn't bother to do that, And that, but there's no tariffs in your area. So you have to go with one of these guys and then they own it. And that's a bit weird. Like that's, that's the easy part in my mind. If like come up with a list, start in America with the States. Sure. Do it state by state. Sure. Start in the most like sunny areas or the areas that get the most searches and start answering those questions and take people's emails and give them a shout later. Like treat that like a startup and it could be really useful because you can tell people it's not worth bothering. You've got a tax in your area. If you bother to get a loan to get this solar panel, it would just make your bills go up. So why would you do that? And but click here because there's a petition that we started that, <laughs> that is going to overturn that law. Like there, there's so many things that someone the size of Google could do if they if they really want to put time into it. But I know they've got a lot going on, but getting more solar on roofs is just an amazing thing to work on. Uh, it seems like it would be the, the kind of thing that you could knock out of the park. And it almost seems like the sort of thing where maybe the responsible thing for Google to do is to provide that data and give it give it away for free, right? Like, hey, we have all this data on what sunroofs or what sun what roofs can get sun. Uh, you take this and do what you will with it. And hopefully, you know, someone comes along that uh, does the free market thing and, um, you know, makes us the service that we're talking about that does this better than Google could because of the million different red tape things that get in the way when you can't badmouth companies <laughs> that buy ads on your platform or whatever the case yeah, may be, yeah. right? It's understandable that those problems happen, I think, on some level and also very, very frustrating, especially for companies that are like committed to reaching net, net negative carbon by, you know, 2050 or whatever the case may be. It's sort of like, yeah, but you could help so many other people scale their things. Sure. Well. I said a bad thing about Google. Let me say a good thing about Google. So one of the other things I mentioned, Green, te uh, green Turtle is kind of building green tech yeah. in, re in regards to building tech for people who do sustainable things. But it's also helping people green their tech. 
So that's the idea of making whatever it is that your tech does, you sell tickets to events or you sell whatever your Google, just making that more sustainable, reducing the CO2 output of that. And one of the things that Google do, which I think is quite impressive, is they are one of the early adopters and big adopters of um, Electricity Map. And um, Electricity Map, if you've not come across it, it's made by Tomorrow. They do good things. And it basically tells you what is the what is the carbon grid intensity of your current area. So it might be state or region or something, but how much CO2 is being spewed out of the grid in your area for every kilowatt hour being used, right? And so that changes throughout the day. If you've got loads of solar where you are, then in the middle of the day, it's probably going to be a lot less than at night, right? Where they might spin up a coal plant to, to get that going. And so one of the cool things that Google have started to do is they, I think they gave a bunch of money to Electricity Map and they've got access to their forecasting model. So not only do they know this is the carbon grid intensity right now, but they know, and it will be this much at four in the afternoon or three in the morning. And so they've started moving a lot of their computationally really heavy processes over to that. And I've talked to a bunch of people in a bunch of places, maybe on here, maybe not, about that. There's there's ideas like that and a million others. Um, so I'm just going to be like a, a, a green tech consultant for companies that want to reduce their emissions. Because if you think about it, what a lot of us do, you've got a cron job that's going to run every hour. Does it need to run every hour? Probably not, right? Let's do every six or let's do once a day or whatever it is, get it as low as you can. And then you can kind of track how much CO2 that's actually using, but you can, and you can also move it. Do you need to run that process at midnight? Why are you running it at midnight? Is that just because when you wrote the cron job, it was easier to go zero, 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 zero than it was to do like zero, four, like it just felt obscure. So you can find out in your area when it's a good time to run a process and automate that. Um, and there's there's a million different things you can do, like background jobs and, and other things. And you can use cloud carbon calculator. If you search those words, something will pop up. But it's like a tool that you can put all of your uh, Amazon cloud, Google cloud, all of that, put your billing information into, and it will tell you how much CO2 is coming from different parts because it knows you've used, you know, five hours of EC2 in this region and six hours over there and all these different things. Um, so it can give you a graph of like, this is where, this is how much CO2 you're creating overall. This is how much is coming from EC2 or from other services. This is how much is coming from, like, these are your worst performing regions. Like, stop using EC whatever. And and so, like, step one, track it. Step two, figure out how to reduce it. Step three, reduce it more. Um, and, and Google, uh, you know, a good case study that I provide when I talk to companies about things like that. Because if you think about their training AI models that are huge, um, and doing all these crazy processes, and and they're trying to offset everything they've got. So if they're if they're spewing out CO two all over the place, they've got to pay loads of money in offsetting that, which is still isn't the best way of doing it. Great, you planted some trees in fifty years, that CO two soaked up. Thanks. Like if you could avoid doing it in the first place, that's better. And so they are putting a bit of time and effort and money into avoiding producing the emissions that they would then only have to offset anyway. And they might be that might be profitable. That might save more than they would sure. have spent. So I like that they're doing that. It makes it easy for me to then say, hey, this is something I think you should do. Like, who does this? Or Google? Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, no, we should we'll look at it. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's fascinating. That's uh, I actually didn't know about that. I'd love to know more. We will stuff some of that stuff into the show notes so that we can you know share that with our listeners too. Um, I, I meant to well, I have meant to ask you for a bit now. Do you happen to know the um, troublemakers behind EcoPing Earth? Do you know those guys? 
Oh, sorry, I have for those folks. I guess I don't know who who's making this. Yeah, relatively small presence like on Twitter at the moment, but they essentially will do a, an audit of your web property and and tell you sort of the carbon footprint of the estimated carbon footprint of of a you know a hit to your website, uh, and we'll give you a score based on you know image sizes, traffic, where the data is coming from, where it's being routed, and stuff like that. It's a pretty interesting tool, uh, and they're like free tier. Yeah, their their free tier gives you a, a daily notification about how your site is doing, and so I've been tracking that for my own site and kind of dragging it through there. Notably, we probably need to do better with if you don't hate.com. But that's I have actually been looking at that. Like, I, uh, over the holidays I, I forget. Here. It's really hard to make a Gatsby site do the reasonable thing, I feel like. I don't know why. Like, there's so much happening. There's so much, like, Ajaxy stuff. Like, it's a basically a static website. If there's something we can do that just, like, genuinely yeah. creates HTML and then it's a HTML website, that would be cool. Because that's what Jekyll was. And it was so fast. And I looked at it and I was like, oh, man. Right. Uh, yeah, I, th- I put it through something like EcoPing, but it was like, oh, I, I looked on um, Cloudflare and it was like 30%, 30% of your, no, like 12% of your requests are cached. I'm like, it should be 100%. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. No shade to Gatsby because I haven't been doing a great job of keeping up with sort of the new, new for APIs you won't hate. Dot com, but I am about halfway through a few every few years rewrite of the site. This time using Next in this case uh, because I found it to be much easier to work with for the type mm. of static site we're building, which is really just a bunch of markdown yeah, yeah. files and okay. images. There's sort of first class support for um, responsive images and WebP and stuff like that, and had a much easier time getting Next sites to be SEO friendly. Importantly, which will help other people, you know, more people find yeah, our sites and things like that. So. Um, making pretty good progress through that. And then, you know, from there we can address some of the things like running images through actually one of my new favorite tools is Squish, which I'll put in the notes here too, S-Q-O-O-S-H dot app, which will let you resize an image. Like it, it ingests an image and it'll spit it out with a smaller file format essentially. Um, and so obviously if you have a pre-optimized image, it won't do that, but it's, it essentially does things like sharp and resharper and all those things do, you know, in the browser. So if you're running a small site and you're just uploading to WordPress or whatever. That's you can awesome. And can you there. can you get like different size yeah. images without awkwardly randomly making it a GraphQL query internally? Is that something that Next does? Sure does. It does. Yeah. And uh, it, it has done so in a way that is not completely broken and or frustrating at all. And so I think I think our the next version of our site built on Next will be uh, far more performant, easier to deal with, faster to build, and will you know add some additional feature support. Like one of the things I've been meaning to do is add the capability to add a canonical link to someone else's site if we you know repost an article for someone. It'd be nice to do that. Hopefully, my project uh, over the holidays between you know Christmas and New Year's sort That's of amazing. Thank you for working on that. Yeah, there was just so many weird things with like. Instead of saying something logical, like if you put a reference to an image path and then you load up the website, instead of saying like image not found in your browser, it just would refuse to even start the server. And it would say things like, you know, property of objects is you can't get a property of an object because it's null. And what that means is it couldn't find the image. Therefore, it couldn't change it into the right GraphQL fragment. Therefore, it couldn't do something else. And I'm just like, what the fuck? So yeah, it'd be nice to have it'd be nice to have yeah, a system that's yeah. not just all awkwardly based around everything being a GraphQL query for no reason. I'd be I'd be happy about that. 
Absolutely. Yeah. They went in and did a bunch of clever things with that are like really nice if you have a gigantic, you know, million page site where like your image might load first and it might show an SVG that approximates your image while the image is loading in the background and all those like cool like bells and whistles that make absolutely no meaningful difference for us when we have one image per page. Uh, you know, like there's 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 a lot of cool bells and whistles in there that we just don't need. And uh, hopefully with using Next, we'll be able to do better and, and make it a little easier to edit and have people submit posts and stuff like that. So working through what that'll look like, I think we'll get there uh, in short order and hopefully be able to do a bunch of things better than we have been doing now. Up to and including saving the site for offline mode. If you have an article that you want and you want to pin it to something, you could do that if you really wanted to. But, um, you know, those things also aren't necessary, right? Like you probably don't need a JavaScript worker running in your iPhone to keep our site up to date every once in a while if you're only, you know, pulling down an article. We haven't posted an article for a couple of months. I don't think we need real time updates. <laughs> Which reminds me, I'm going to work on some posts. Um, so one of the main things I'm trying to do that over the next year, got my fingers in a lot of pies. I want to keep I want to find ways to make them work together. So right now I'm actually doing some work for OpenAPI for the Linux Foundation. We'll talk about that another time. But they want me writing a bunch of articles and doing a bunch of stuff, right? And so I am currently writing an article, which I'm going to put onto APIs you won't hate, which is basically profiling um, Akita, which is a really cool bit of software that looks at real-time traffic and then gives you OpenAPI, amongst other things. But it will look at look at stuff going through a proxy and then say, this is roughly what I think the open API should be. So I've used that to make open API for the protect earth API, because we just built it and then we didn't have any open API. And I want to start doing design first and having contract testing and doing all this stuff I usually do. So I, I used Akita to make uh, open API for the protect earth API, which I then uploaded to stoplight, obviously. And now I'm writing an article, which is going to go on APIs you won't hate for the Linux Foundation. <laughs> and, and it's going to be, and I'm going to use that open API to then like for the work I'm doing at Green Tech, uh, Green Turtle, make more improvements to the API over time. And so I'm, I'm trying to not, not really double dip because they don't all pay very well, but I'm trying to kind of find ways to work on all the things in the most efficient way possible. Sure. I mean, yeah, Green, Green, Green Turtle is yeah, paying for most of the, the API development work being done. And so if I can like, make that be uh, a story that lots of people can follow. And, and it, like maybe I even start streaming the process of creating that, that Protect Earth API. And then that is all still work for OpenAPI because it's raising the profile of how this all works and, and, and making them happy. So hopefully I can just make everyone happy by being a little bit clever with my time. Yeah, without a doubt. Uh, be, that's that's also solving the problem of making Phil scale, right? Like that is that maybe is your your theme for the coming year is figure out how to make Phil's uh, many many efforts scale. Like make every hour hour count for two or three is going to be a useful thing to do there. Well, Phil, we're we're coming up on an hour of chatting here. I think it might be time to uh, to to say goodbye here. Any parting words for the new year? Any thoughts, feelings, uh, anxieties you want to share with the world? Be be nice to people. I don't know. That, that's all I can think right now. I'm I'm sick of people being daft. We're we're in a fun point where we've stopped. Where people aren't really climate deniers anymore. They're just kind of climate delayers, and we're all just arguing about the best way to save the planet. And I just want people to stop screaming at each other and try and work together on saving the planet. So, yeah, I'm going to try and be a bit less of a grump this year. And uh, yeah, let's all let's all give that a go. And let's all like come up with creative tech solutions to to knock some of the four percent of uh, world emissions off that the internet's currently causing. Let's see if we can fix that together. Yeah, that sounds good to me. I've I've made steps in that direction myself. Of, uh, I think for me, a meaningful step is just removing myself from 
places where negative voices show up. Uh, and so that has taken the form of calling a lot of news sites from my life and removing some folks from Twitter who just add negative energy to me. And honestly, like some personal acquaintances and friends, uh, in, in ways that I'm, you know, interacting with them makes me angry because they're whatever shouting about how masks <laughs> delete Facebook. You don't need to listen to your great aunt's opinion about masks. You can just delete Facebook. <laughs> Yeah, hey, that's fair too. That's a completely fair point. So yeah, be nice to people, I think is a good, uh, a, a good theme for the year. Nice to people and delete Facebook. Two, two goals. <laughs> perfect. Yeah, that's a, that's a nice meta goal. I'm into it. <laughs> for meta too. Yeah, perfect. Even better. Phil, it's been fantastic catching up with you. We will chat again in a few weeks. Until next year, please uh, take care, be healthy, be safe. Yeah, cheers. Have a good one. <laughs>